What if you didn't know? What if you didn't know? What if you didn't know that he was pierced for our transgressions? What if you didn't know like a sheep he was led to the slaughter? What if you didn't know that your iniquity had been placed upon him? What if you didn't know any of the things that perhaps brought you here today? What if you didn't know? Or what if you knew, but were just slow to believe? In 1945, Hiru Onoda was sent from the island of Japan to the Philippines. And he was sent to Libang Island and he was to be stationed there. And his mission was to perform counter surveillance and to stop the enemy at all cost. He arrived in January. By August of 1945, the Imperial Army of Japan had surrendered. World War II had come to an end. But not for Onada. You see, he could not bring himself to believe that the army, the government that had just recently sent him to the Philippines could somehow have surrendered. And so he made up his mind to stay. To stay in the caves, to stay in the jungle, to continue the mission that he was given. And so he did. For 29 years. For 29 years he stayed in the Philippines conducting counter-espionage. For 29 years he remained true to the command that he was given. There were leaflets that were dropped over the islands letting those who might still be comrades of his know that the war was over. It was time to lay down your arms. Individuals had made their way into the jungle area, tried to go into the caves to find him, to say, look, it is, it is over. He received information, but he assumed that it was enemy propaganda, and he refused to believe it. And so for 29 years, he continued a battle that he didn't need to fight. Until March of 1974, when his former commanding officer was brought to the island, taken to, into the jungle, to the cave where Oneida in his pressed uniform was living. And he was given the order to lay down his arms. And only then did he come out and go home. What if you knew but had a hard time believing? You see, I think that's where many of us are today. Many of us who are here in this room are not individuals who have never heard. We have heard the message. We have heard that the battle has been won. We have heard that the war is over, that there is now peace between us and God. We have heard, but we are slow to believe. 
And so we continue living in the jungles of our own lives. We continue hiding out in the caves, refusing to believe that what we have heard could actually be true. That the resurrection, not only is it something that was real, but it's something that has real meaning in my life. And it actually means that there is forgiveness. And so I read from Isaiah 53 and ask, who has believed our message? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root on dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Yet he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and he was held in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And it is by his wounds that we are healed. You know, but do you believe? It is to help move our souls across the line of belief that we share in this communion this morning. In the wisdom of God, it was instituted that those who were his disciples would share in bread and cup. A reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus, the promise of the salvation that is here now and what is to be revealed later. And as we share in bread and cup, on a day when many in the world stop to give thought of the resurrection of Jesus. May you go from not merely knowing, but to truly believing. And as you eat the bread, may your eyes be opened. And as you drink the cup, may your heart be filled with the very spirit that brought about the resurrection. Don't just know. Believe and come home. Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for the bread and for the sacrifice of Jesus. And Father, we know we have heard the story so many times. But as we take this this morning, can we come to a point where we truly believe that the salvation that was brought forth on the cross, secured on the day of resurrection, that we might truly believe it was for us. That it was for my sin. That it was for my failings. It was for my brokenness. And as we eat this bread, Father, may we feel you say, come home and be at peace. To the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to dismiss and we're going to have Bible class and you're going to go and eat and get some donuts and coffee and you're just going to spend some time uh, maybe getting your picture made and spend some time getting to know some people that you don't already know and of course today is April 1st and I am lying through my teeth. I mean, how many preachers do you ever know that get Easter Sunday and are like, I'm not going to take advantage of this, you know? I'm, I don't think I'll say anything. Uh, hey, it is April Fool's Day, if you didn't realize that. It's April Fool's Day today, and in honor of April Fool's Day, 
I, I thought that I would uh, challenge you with some true or fool statements, all right? Some true or fool statements. So this is all you have to do. Um, after I ask this or state this statement, you just have to say true or, or fool, all right? So here's the first one. More people are killed each year by sharks than by vending machines. This is going to be pretty easy. I'm going to start easy. Do oh, okay, I, I heard the group over here to my right that just went nuts, okay? Is that true or fool from this group? You're saying it is fool. That means false. So you're saying that there are actually more people killed each year by vending machines than sharks? Where do these kids go to school? I mean, I thought I would start off with something really easy, you know, just kind of slide in, you know, put one of those statements up that everybody's like, oh, I know the answer to that. And it is true. More people are killed each year by vending machines than sharks. That is exactly right. I know it's crazy, but it's true. How about this one? Charlie Chaplin once placed third in a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. True or fool? What do you think? Uh, what do you think? It is actually true. It happened in France. There was a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. He entered and apparently um, people were not used to seeing him in color. Black and white pictures did not do justice to his baby blues and so he actually came in third. Yeah, so that's that's true. All right, here's one for you. Strawberries are not berries, but bananas are. Strawberries are not berries, but bananas are. What do you think? True or fool? What do you think? You have no idea. I have stumped the entire what right side over here. My left, your guys, your guys right. Actually, that is true. Strawberries are not berries. You're like, well, Mama always called them strawberries. Why aren't they? It, it, supposedly, it's all because of the way scientists have termed what a berry is and, and what qualities you have to meet to be a berry. And for whatever reason, bananas are actually classified as berries, but strawberries are not. So there you go. You can go out and amaze your friends with that one here later on. All right, here's another one. True or fool, goats have rectangular pupils. This is for the Lee family. All right? Oh, well, I've got a picture. I guess I'm going to give that one away, right? Yeah, look at those rectangular pupils right there on that one, right? Isn't that kind of wild? All right, now I know that this is going to be one. Um, Nikki, I put this one in for you. All right, this is for you. Jack Black's parents were famous Broadway performers. True or fool? Now, some of you are looking at going, who in the world is Jack Black, right? And catch up, everybody. Um, Nacho Libre, right? If you've seen that movie, Jack Black as a movie star. Uh, very famous, actually. Um, Jack Black's parents were famous Broadway performers. True or fool? What do you think? Okay, I hear true. Okay. 
It's actually fool, and here's why. His parents were actually rocket scientists. <laughs> and if you know any of his movies, that's the April Fool's joke right there. Actually, his mom worked on the Hubble Space um, Telescope. Yeah, true, true story. Kind of crazy, right? All right, one more that I've got for you. All these too crazy to believe, but I've got one more. True or fool, you can start over. And some of you are already going, mm, fool, I think. You can start over. It's true. It's true, and it's a statement that I hope that by the time that we're done today, it's one that you are able to leave owning in your own mind and in your own heart and in your own soul, realizing that no matter where you are, no matter what stage of life that you are in, you can start over. Because here's the deal. Most people I know are stuck. Yeah. Most people I know are, are stuck. We feel caught in jobs we barely endure and often despise. We are, we're in relationships that are confusing and oftentimes very heartbreaking. We feel we've wasted our energy or that we have no energy for the things that are most important in our lives. And then those things that really don't matter, it seems we spend all of our time and energy doing those things. Our children ask for just a few minutes at bedtime with us, but we don't have the time. And yet... We then go and waste hours on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We gossip even though we've made repeated resolves not to. We're envious, we judge, we sulk, we overeat. We spend more time reading blogs than we spend reading our Bibles. And we feel that everyone else has more money or has longer vacations or newer cars or, or nicer clothes and fewer things that go wrong with their hot water tanks or their cars or, or their kids or just their life than we do. And oftentimes we wonder, well, where is the freedom that all these church people are speaking about? Where is this new life on Resurrection Sunday that people are all getting all excited about? I just don't see it oftentimes, I hear. And so we're haunted. And we wonder, is everyone else fulfilled? And am I the only one who's not? Or even worse, we wonder, is there anybody out there that is actually fulfilled? Maybe you know what it feels like to be stuck. Mark Buchanan in his book, Your God is Too Safe, talks about his own experience. When speaking of his conversion to Christianity, he says, I hit the ground running. Immediately I volunteered for everything, anything that I felt vaguely interested me and that I was marginally qualified for. I led the youth group, I helped with the music, I taught Sunday school, I wrote the church newsletter, I became a camp counselor, I served as a mentor to several young men. But something somewhere went awry. My zeal fizzled. The fire in my bones became only an ache in my joints. My running became plodding. My lightness became heaviness. My joyfulness became jadedness. And I joined the ranks of the murmurers and fault finders. Those that did not like the music or the sermon or the color of the azaleas behind the church. And I found their number to be legion. 
he was stuck. At the end of Mark Twain's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, you might remember that Tom and his friend Huckleberry Finn come into a large cachet of, of money. Huck ends up being taken in by the widow Douglas and she's going to give him a new life, a new start, a new beginning. He had always been a scavenger for food. He had lived in the barn, slept with the pigs, but now he was going to have a bed of his own, food on the table all the time, new clothes, everything was going to be warm and clean. But he chafes under it. And before long, he leaves it and he goes back to the pig pen. He goes back to scavenging for food. Because that's the life that he knows. That's the life he doesn't have to work very hard at. It's the life that feels comfortable. And in telling Tom about it, here's what he said. He says, I've tried it and it don't work, Tom. It ain't for me. I ain't used to it. The widow's got to, to me and she's friendly, but I can't stand them ways. I got to go to church and sweat and sweat. And I hate them ornery sermons. I can't stand it. I'd go talk so nice it wasn't no comfort. I'd go up to the attic and rip out a while every day to get a taste in my mouth or I died. The widow wouldn't let me smoke. She wouldn't let me yell. She wouldn't let me gate nor stretch nor scratch before folks. And dad fetch it. She prayed all the time. I never seen such a woman. I had to shove, Tom. I just had to. It didn't work. It's not for me. Maybe that's how some of you feel about your walk with God. Maybe that's how it is when it comes to things of the Spirit in your life. Gossip and grumbling are your mother tongue and a new language of praise and exhortation. It's like you're speaking Chinese. Self-seeking is in your blood. Humility and servitude. They're just so different. And so just like Huck retreated back into what was comfortable, you also do the same. Now you stayed around church and, and you come to assemblies every once in a while and participate in a ministry here and there. But you haven't. You haven't been on fire there have been times of fresh resolve and redoubled effort, but it's never been sustained. And just be honest, you're tired. You're tired of the busyness at home and at work and at school. You're tired of the busyness of church. Tired of putting up a good front when you come to church. You're tired of trying and failing. You're, you're tired of, of not trying. You're just tired of being tired because you're stuck. And so here's what you do. You go and live just close enough to your old life so that you're comfortable. Just close enough to what you've always known. Just close enough to the way you were raised. Just close enough to how your friends live. Just close enough to what is acceptable at work. Just, just close enough to what makes you feel good. And yet you live just far enough away from your new life to feel guilty. You feel guilty. You come to assemblies like this and there's something that just keeps eating at you. You feel guilty because you know how mom and dad raised you. You know the expectations. You, you know what God wants of you. You know what you want of yourself. 
And you look to see where you are and you look to see where you wish you were and there is just this guilt that begins to overwhelm you and you struggle and you go back and forth. Do you retreat into what is comfortable or do you rush headlong into what will relieve the guilt? More often than not, we just pitch our tents. We want to be like Jesus. But here's the rub. The more we try to be like Jesus, the more we try to think and act and and talk like Jesus. Have you noticed this? The more we realize that we can't be like Jesus. Right? Have you figured that out yet? You see, when I was a kid, I've told some of you about this before. I wanted to be just like Chuck Beasley. Chuck Beasley was the running back for the Hansville Bulldog Pee Wee football team. And he could run like a gazelle running from a lion. His moves were the envy of every nine-year-old. And of particular legend was his ability to stiff arm any would-be tackler and leave them in the ground just eating his dust. Now for me, I was able to watch from afar because being a year younger than Chuck, I wasn't on the peewee team, I was on the wee-wee team. I was a wee-wee bulldog. And so I practiced my stiff arm over and over at home. Until one day, my chance for wee-wee glory came. It arrived. Lining up at running back, I took the handoff. I busted through the right side of the offensive line. And it was clear sailing all the way to the end zone. Except for one would-be defender, my cousin. And I had been practicing. He would have no idea what hit him. I was going to use the Chuck Beasley stiff arm. And about the time I approached him, I put out my arm, I posed just perfectly. And later that night in the Coleman County Regional Medical Center, (laughs) as the doctor put the cast on my arm and told me that it would heal in six to eight weeks, I just couldn't understand it. I did everything that Chuck did. I mean, I I look like Chuck. I have my arm just as Chuck had his. He never got a broken wrist. And so I spent the remainder of the season on the bench, stuck, watching Chuck Beasley stiff arm his way to peewee glory. I was no Chuck Beasley then. And guys, I am no Jesus Christ now. And more often than not, I feel as if I am encased in some type of spiritual caste. But does it mean that I have to live stuck? If you feel me this morning, then I ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, because I want us to look at a couple of guys who were stuck. And they didn't know. They didn't know that they could have a different type life. They they didn't know that things could be different. They didn't know that there was going to be a new beginning. They did not know that where they were was not where they had to stay. You see, Jesus has been resurrected. But these guys don't know it. He joins them on the road to Emmaus. They're heading back to what they knew. They're going back to what was comfortable. They had been in Jerusalem with Jesus. They had witnessed amazing things. They had been certain that their life would never be the same again. But that was three days ago. 
And now their teacher was gone and their dreams, it seemed like, had all but vanished. They fail to recognize Jesus as he approaches them. And he comes up and says, what are you guys talking about? And I love the response in verse 18. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know? Are you the only one that doesn't know all the things that have happened? And they talked about how that there was a prophet who was powerful in word and deed before God and his people. They talk about a hope that they had pinned on this man named Jesus, but how the religious rulers had become troubled at his teachings. How that there had been a conspiracy and, and how he had been crucified. They talked about troubling rumors they had heard that some women were sharing. Jesus was dead. The tomb was empty. But they were going home. They were going to what was comfortable. And it's at this moment that these two disciples, they're living with a past tense faith. And they list all the things that Jesus was. They say he was of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was mighty in deeds. He was mighty in words. He was loved by the common people. He was hated by the religious leadership. He was crucified. They didn't know. They didn't know. These men were living with a Friday faith in a Sunday world. And they summed up their reality with verse 21 by saying, you know what, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. Other translations said we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped he was the one. You see, discouragement and frustration causes us to live in the past. And so we go around saying, you know what, I hope my marriage would last. We, we hope that our children would be faithful. We go around speaking in past terms. We had hoped that our church would meet our needs. We had hoped that the cancer would not come back. We had hoped that things this time would turn out different. We had hoped that finally God would intervene. You see, hope fades the longer our reality does not meet our expectations. Life does not present itself the way that we wish it would. God does not act the way he, we think he should. Discouragement and frustration set in. It begins to put a stranglehold on our hope. I want you to listen to these guys as the hope is fading. They say in verse 22, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen visions of angels, said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Say, so we heard this story, but it's too good to believe. It sounds just like vending machines being more likely to kill somebody than sharks. You see, heartbreak happens this way. We think God should do something based on our faulty knowledge often of his word. He doesn't do it. We get discouraged. We think God is just going to let us down, that he's disappointed with us. But more often than not, the problem is with us. And that's why Jesus tells these followers, he says, you're so foolish. 
And you would expect Jesus on the day that he's been resurrected to come up beside these disciples, hear their discouragement, throw his arms around them and say, guys, it's me. It's all right. Everything's going to be okay. But he listens to them talk about how all their hopes are dashed and all the dreams that God was going to do are gone. And now God's message, his plan, his purpose, it's all failed. And Jesus says, you're fools. You're fools. You're so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he goes into an explanation of how the scriptures taught that the Messiah must die and then be raised again. His words were not meant to be insulting. His words were meant to challenge their belief. And so I want to ask you this morning, what truths do you have such a hard time believing? What truths do you just have a hard time accepting as fact? Oh, you've heard it over and over and you've been a part of gatherings like this and you've heard messages, but you won't come out of the cave. You stay in the jungle. Is it that God cares about you? Do you have a hard time believing that? Given circumstances in your life? Can I call your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7? Where it says, give all of your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Can you believe that this morning? Is it that God can provide for you? Do you think it all depends on you? Do you think that it's all about your ability? Do you think it's all about your education and background? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe you doubt that God sees your situation. Maybe because of the temptation, maybe because of the struggles, the addictions that you deal with, you think, you know what? God must have just turned his eye to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Will you believe that this morning? And will you believe that God actually wants you to see yourself as he sees you? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. How many of us on April Fool's Day is our Savior looking at saying, you're so foolish and slow to believe what Scripture has told you. When they arrive at the village, the two men persuade Jesus whom they still do not see and know to eat with them. And it says in verse 30 that when they sat down, Jesus took bread and he blessed it. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And it says suddenly their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us? When we were together on the road with him and he opened the scriptures to us. They knew there was something different. 
They heard him speak. They heard him talk about scripture. And they knew that there was something different. They knew that there was something about him. But they just couldn't place it. They didn't know until they shared bread. Until they shared cup. Similar to what you have done already this morning. And their eyes were opened. And they realized, we can start over. We can begin again. And so the story doesn't end around the table. Luke tells us in verse 33 that within the very same hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. The seven miles that they had walked debating and discussing was now this seven-mile jot, hurrying to get back to Jerusalem, hurrying to let everyone know what they had discovered. And when they get back, when they get back, they are so filled with excitement. They are so filled with excitement that they go to the other disciples and they begin telling all the things that they had experienced. They begin talking about Jesus saying that he truly had been raised. And while they were talking about these things, Jesus himself came and stood among them and said, peace. Now don't miss this in verse 36. Don't miss the significance of what happened. Jesus appeared to a group of followers only after these two guys who just hours earlier had been stuck had returned back with an outstanding story to tell. Before he reveals himself to the others, he waits for these two stuck disciples to return. And while they're excitedly telling their message, then he appears. He could have come to his followers at any time. Why did he wait? Why did he wait? I think there's something special about these guys. I think there's something special about the fact that they had gone to what they remembered to be comfortable. That they were feeling this loss. That they were feeling as if everything had been left behind. They were stuck. But now they returned to Jerusalem. And could it be that he walked and talked with them on the way to Emmaus? Because he wanted them and us to know that we don't have to stay stuck. The resurrection gives you the chance to start over. It gives you the chance to begin again. You don't have to just go through the spiritual motions. You don't have to settle for just living on the sidelines, wishing you could be more like him. You don't have to wonder, can he truly forgive me for what I have done? Your heart can once again burn within you. Because the truth is, I really believe this, God wants you to be on fire for him. God wants the message of resurrection to live through your life, not just one day, but every day. He wants your message to be the same as these disciples. It's true. Jesus lives. But could it be that he's waiting for you before he reveals himself to others? Could it be that he is waiting for you before he reveals himself to your family or before he reveals himself in your office or before he reveals himself in your classroom in your neighborhood in your gym before he is truly seen within your church he wants you to be a part of what's going on and he doesn't want you to miss out on it he doesn't want you not to know but we've heard all this before haven't we How many Easter sermons have you heard in your life? 
How many assemblies have you been in that's similar to this one? How many times have we chalked it up to fancy propaganda that's just spoken by the preacher? How many years have we wasted hiding out in the cave of our life, living in the jungle, refusing to believe that the struggle is over? And so I've got one final question for you today. Will this be the day that you believe? Will this be the day that you believe? You see, belief produces action. 29 years living in a cave in the Philippines. And then Onada finally left the cave when he believed that the war was over. The two disciples walking back to Emmaus. They were going to what they felt was comfortable. What they knew. And then they turned and returned to Jerusalem because they believed that Jesus was alive. So what will you do? What will you do when the truth of the resurrection is no longer a laughing matter? When it's no longer foolhardy? When you realize that the amazing is true? What will you do? Will you confess your belief that Jesus is truly the Son of God? Will you be baptized? Will you return to the community of faith? Will you live in confident truth of Scripture? You see, you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to go day in and day out, week after week, plodding along, wondering, is there anything more to this life? The resurrection gives you a chance to start over, to begin again. And you can start new today, right here, right now. I'm not fooling. It's no joke. The Lord is risen. He is alive. And he calls you to come and be set on fire again. Let's stand and sing.